Amen. Amen. If you want to turn in your Bibles to 1 John 4. And uh, as we talk about love, it's sort of a shame that uh, many times in especially conservative biblical circles, we sort of disregard the love for legalism. We disregard the love for uh, rules, regulations, or preconceived notions of what God has. And, and I want to explain that love, as we're talking about here, which is an agape love, um, doesn't always mean that everything is, is uh, roses and accepting everything and and just loving everybody where they're at. This is an agape love that uh, only God can instill. So we've talked about the, the different types of love. We explained them that there's the uh, physical love that we can have between a husband and a wife. There's a familial love, family love. There's a brotherly love. But this is agape love. In, this, uh, in chapter 4, we're going to be reading, uh, we're going through 7 through 11. It really talks about knowing God through love. And so John continually talks about love. But he also says love is this. Love is accountability. He tells us to speak the truth. That sounds good. Some people speak the truth trying to be right. Some people speak the truth trying to prove somebody wrong or, or trying to show how smart they are. But Jesus went beyond that. He said speak the truth in what? In love, right? So this love, this agape love that the Bible talks about, that the Lord is talking about here, is central to everything that we do as, as believers. It needs to be the very foundation of why we do what we do and how we do it. It affects our attitude, it affects our disposition, it affects how we deal with other people, how we treat other people, how we respond to other people. So there's accountability, there's correction, there's discipline. Right? Parents discipline their kids not because they want to show that they're stronger or bigger or whatever. They, they discipline their children because they love them. They want to raise them in what is right. They want them to do what is right. A proverb says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man's countenance sharpens another friend. So it talks about we do those things because we want to draw each other closer in our relationship with the Lord. And so, unfortunately, many times we look at love and we say, well, love is okay in certain things, but, you know, we still got the black and white. We got the word, we got this and that. And John is really telling us through the Lord that love is central to the word, to the Bible, to the things that we do. So he tells us here as we begin, you know, beloved, let us love. And this is an ancient, uh, or I should say the ancient Greek sentence for this, uh, is agapatoi agapomen, which means those who are loved, let us love. And this agapatoi agapomen is what? Agape. It's talking about the agape love that only comes through God. And again, I'm just going to reemphasize this as we get talking about love, because through these verses, the love that is spoken of there is agape love. It's not philia, it's not familia, it's not erotic, it's uh, agape. It's a love that only comes through God. So he tells us really, those who are loved, let us love. So we're not commanded to, to love one another to earn salvation. We're not commanded to love one another to become worthy of God's love. We love one another because we are loved by God and we live in light of it, the scriptures tell us. And so when we have this agape love in our life, this is how we are to walk. So if, if love is of God, as the Bible says it is, 
than those who claim to be born of God. If you are saying that you are a born-again believer, if you are saying that you are a Christian, a Christ follower, claim to know God, you must be able to love one another within Christ's body, especially. But it also goes beyond that. It goes to those in our community. But Jesus talks about, and Paul and John and, and Peter and those as they talk about the pastoral and the church epistles, how do we treat one another? Now, unfortunately, within the church, sometimes we always see end fighting, we see nitpicking, we see uh, things, uh, hypocrisy sometimes the world would say. We see people arguing with one another. We see people that have divisions within the church. And that's like a black eye to the community. So that's why John is really emphasizing here that we need to have that love. We need to have that unity. We need to work together in, in making the body of Christ all that Jesus intends it to be. So as we look at this, we look at things like we're not just forgiven, but we're born anew of God's spirit. So we just don't accept this forgiveness that God has, but he says, behold, old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new, right? He has given us a spirit. New things are transpiring in our life. And though our love may not be perfected, it may not be perfect in the life that, that we're living, it must be present. And the Bible says, really, it should be growing. So as we draw closer to God, our love for one another should be growing more and more. And so John is saying, and, and I would agree with him and concur, and Paul also upholds this, that um, you can't really uh, grow in your experience with God and in your relationship with God without also uh, growing in your love for one another. So the closer we are with God, the more we're going to have love for one another. And John says this boldly. And this is one of those scriptures, what do you, what do, you do with this if you don't have this in your life? It says, he who does not uh, love does not know God. He who does not have agape love in his life does not know God. Because the Bible says God is agape. God is this love. And so if you're looking at your life and you're saying, I really don't have unconditional love, I, I really don't believe in unconditional love, I think, you know, it's always a give and take thing, maybe you need to look at your relationship with God. Maybe you see how you treat one another and, and it's not in the loving way. Maybe you need to look at your relationship with God because, again, John says, he who does not love does not know God. And so we need to take those things seriously because the love that John speaks of comes from that word agape. It's a love that we can't muster up on ourselves. See, we can muster up, we can muster up a physical love, we can muster up a, a family love, right? We can muster up brotherly love, friendship love. But the Bible says we cannot muster up or we cannot counterfeit agape love. Because agape love is a, is a self-giving love. It's giving of ourself uh, without demanding or expecting repayment in anything that we do. Now, most of our love is conditional. Most of our, our behaviors in this world are conditional. So we'll say, you know, uh, sometimes we see husbands and wives, and when I counsel with them, either pre or, or post-marriage, you know, it's like, well, marriage is a 50-50. Well, the Bible doesn't say that. Uh, believe, between believers, uh, marriage is 100%. You give your all. We were just going through a, a study of Hosea. You want to read a, a story of love? Read that. 
So it, it's, a, it's a love that is self-giving. It just gives of itself, not expecting, not demanding anything in return. No repayment. I'm just doing it because God has given me the desire to do it. I'm not doing it to earn anything. I'm not doing it trying to prove anything. God has given me this desire, and I want to follow what God has for me. So if we look at things and we say, like every human relationship is maybe like a triangle, okay? So the relationship can be between husband and wife. It can be between friends. It can be between whatever. But it's like a triangle. So at each bottom corner are the two people involved. So you can have the husband and the wife. Or you can have two friends down there. And you can have God at the top. And as those two people draw closer to God, what's happening? They're drawing closer to one another also, right? So the closer that we draw with God, the stronger our relationship comes. And so many times weak relationships are because God is not in the center. We're not drawing closer to God. We have conditions. We have conditions on our relationships we have things that are, are going on in our life that have taken precedence over God. And so as we draw closer to God as husbands and wives, our marriage becomes stronger. As we draw closer to God as friends, our friendships become stronger. So we draw closer to one another, and that's what God would have us to do as believers. So in the body of Christ, in this church, that's what his desire is, is that as the body draws closer to God, that body of Christ becomes closer and closer and more tight-knit. Because weak relationships are made strong when, when both parties are drawing closer to the Lord. And so the question is, is, are you drawing closer to the Lord? Marshall tells us this. It says, it's because men are created in the image of God, an image that has been defaced but not destroyed by the fall, that they still have the capacity to love. Marshall's really telling us the only reason that we can love is because we've been made in the image of God. And even though that, that uh, uh, image of God has been defaced and, and destroyed by the fall in mankind, because of the image of God, we can still express that love. And John's going to tell us that the love is not even initiated by ourself, but it's initiated by God. Spurgeon tells us this, Never let it be thought that any sinner is beyond the reach of divine mercy, so as long as he is in the land of the living. So Spurgeon is really saying, as long as a person has breath, God's grace and mercy can reach him. Okay? So we never give up on people, but sometimes in the flesh we do, don't we? Sometimes we look at people and say, that, they're never going to come to Christ. They're never going to change. They're never going to become different. But I, I like the way that Spurgeon says it. Never let it be thought, even, he says. Not even spoken. Never let it be thought that any sinner is beyond the reach of divine mercy as long as he is in the land of the living. He says, I stand here to preach unlimitable love, unbounded grace to the vilest of the vile, to those who have nothing in them that can deserve consideration from God. Men who ought to be swept into the bottomless pit at once if justed meted out their deserts. And so what Spurgeon is saying as he's expounding upon the scriptures here is that love is unlimited. God's love is unlimited. And this is all based off of John 3.16. For God so loved the world. That word world meant exactly that. All creation. For God so loved each and every one. 
that he gave. He gave a son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Unlimited love. Unbounded grace. Grace greater than all our sin. Grace that can reach out and change. And it says here that that is for the vilest of the vile. That is for the worst of the worst. That is for those who have nothing in them that can deserve consideration. You may say, well, that seems pretty extreme. But I want to let you know that you are one of those people that God reached out to. Because before your salvation, you were the vilest of the vile. You were one of those who had nothing in them that would deserve consideration from God. There's nothing redeemable in us apart from Christ. It is his unmerited favor, his unmerited love that reaches down and makes a difference in us. It is his love that interacts with us that makes it possible for us to love. And he says, for those that ought to be swept right into the pits of hell, he said, there is still hope. And so the meaning of love and its application, verse 9 goes on to tell us this. It says, And the love of God was manifested towards us that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. That's a perfect way to describe salvation or a relationship with God. That we are living through him. So in the Gospels it talks about being grafted into the vine. You know when you are grafted into the vine that life flows through all those those branches out to all those fruits. I think one of the most amazing things that I think of sometimes, and it's probably very simple if you were to ask a a teacher of biology or whatever it would be, but I've seen these like seven fruit trees where they'll have one trunk that comes up, but maybe they give you like uh, seven different types of apples on that tree. And I would think, well, how can that do that? It's because it's grafted in. All of its life, all of its nutrients, all of its stuff comes right up through that trunk into those branches because they have been grafted in. Well, that's how we are with Christ. He has grafted us in to his family. So love is not only defined by the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross, and that is a tremendous sacrifice. Each and every one of us that's been born again, we probably think about that, about Jesus going to the cross, hanging on the cross, dying for my sins. And that was a a tremendous and great sacrifice as, as one of the Trinity, as one of the Godhead. But I want you to think that before all this, that the Godhead had to send the Son. And God the Father had to send his Son knowing, and again, I'm not dividing out the Trinity. God is one. We understand that. There's three parts of that. But as the Father sent the Son, we understood, and he understood, that he was going to be rejected, despised, and put to death. He understood that he was going to be the one that bore our sins on the cross, He was without sin became sin for us. And so there was a sacrifice by God the Father. Jesus came down and walked amongst us. Became a a little lower than the angels. Okay, He He was walking down amongst us and went to the cross. There was a sacrifice there. But he says, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will give you the Holy Spirit in our life. And then he gives us the Holy Spirit and the warning comes, do not quench the Holy Spirit in your life. God is a God of sacrifice. And Jesus became our sacrifice. And he took on our judgment and our penalty 
What we deserved, he took. That's the great love. And we minimize that sacrifice when we say that it was not worthy. Or when we say that he didn't die for everybody. God came and he gave that we might live. On the cross, Jesus took the punishment of our sin that we deserved. We need to reflect on that sometimes. We start looking at others all the time, but John is really saying we need to look at ourselves. As a matter of fact, I believe most of Scripture tells us we need to look at ourselves, examine ourselves, to see if we are where we need to be in our walk and in our relationship. He took on our judgment so we wouldn't have to. He loved us and sent his son, it says, to be the appeasement or the propitiation of our sins. That's a great love. That's the agape love. He gave expecting nothing in return. He came and gave knowing that this was the way. The Old Testament would say, choose this day who you will serve. He has provided the way. But he didn't say, well, I'm going to send Jesus because, you know, I know you're going to give back to me. No, he gave. He gave. So do we live through him? It's really a, a great way, I think, to define our relationship with God. Spurgeon goes on to say this. If there was to be reconciliation between God and man, man ought to have sent to God. Right? If there's going to be reconciliation, there's a perfect God and a sinful man, I should be ringing his doorbell, asking for forgiveness. The offender, Spurgeon says, ought to be the first to apply for forgiveness. I should have been seeking God asking for forgiveness. The weaker should apply to the greater for help. I'm lost in my sin. I'm helpless. I'm despicable. You are the one that's got the power. I should be seeking him. The poor man should ask him who distributes alms. But Spurgeon goes on to say, but herein is love that God sent. God gave. Yes, God is the one who sent. He loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the payment, the appeasement for our sins. God could have done it a whole bunch of different ways. God could have spoke from heaven. He could have sent an angel. He could have just declared it. God is all powerful. God is, is, is all infinite. There's many ways that God could have done it, but he sent his son to die for our sins. Boyce says in his commentary, if God had merely sent Jesus to teach us about himself, that would have been wonderful enough. It would have been far more than we deserved. If God had sent Jesus simply to be our example, that would have been good also and would have had great value. But the wonderful thing is that God did not stop with these. Rather, he sent his son, not merely to teach or to be our example, but to die the death of a felon, that he might save us from sin. I want you to think of that, that he died the death of a felon, of a guilty man. He was without sin, became sin for us. The innocent went and died. It seems unfathomable when you really try to wrap your mind about that. But he did that to save us from sin. 
That'd be like if, if I'm guilty of something and somebody walks in the door and says, you know, Pastor Craig, we found you guilty of this and you deserve to die and we're going to take Paul out and kill him. That's not fair. It's not right. It makes no sense. But that's what God did through Jesus. He took his son and gave us his son to live amongst us that we might learn all these things and see God's love in action. Because this agape love is a love that is a love of action. It's something that you show one another. His love for us initiates our relationship and our love for him. What what does the scripture say? And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. Sometimes we think we're something great. We go, oh, I love God. I love Jesus. You know what the wonderful thing is, is that he loved us. Why he hung upon that cross and looked down, and I know I give this example a lot. He knew us from all eternity. He knew our sinfulness. He knew our disobedience. He knew our rejections. He, he knows every dark and deep crevice in our life. And yet, the Bible says, he had a love for us that provided us a way. We respond to him in love only because he loved us first. Otherwise, we could not do it. You know, there's a dialogue. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Three times they went through this. Do you love me? Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. But that was like a philia love. It was a friendship love. I love you as a brother, Lord. Maybe some of you are sitting here today. You say, I love Jesus, but maybe you're only loving him as a friend. Maybe you think of him as a family member. But are you like Peter, you know, yeah, you know, I philia you, Lord. I love you as a brother. Jesus says, I want you to love me unconditionally. I want you to love me without reservation. I want you to love me without expecting things. I see this in Christians' lives all the time. As long as things are going good in their life, man, my relationship with God is good. And as soon as there's a bump in the road, you know, they're falling away from church, they're doubting God, they're walking away. That's a conditional love. That's loving God, expecting something in return. God says you shouldn't have that. God says, I have loved you unconditionally. You love me unconditionally. Put your times, put your life in my hands. Let me have control of your life. You just love me the way that I have loved you. Because we can't love God the way that we should unless we are receiving and living in his love, his agape love, his love that our mind can't wrap around. And so the question as we sit here today is, do you love God that way? Do you love him unconditionally? You know, we are part of a church that, that um, would do an annual uh, feet washing. And it's out of the scriptures. And it shows servanthood is really what it does. And uh, I remember my first experience there. It was very humbling. But one of the things is that when we read in the scriptures of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples... He was really showing such, such love and servanthood to them, right? 
So I, I can picture Jesus. I'm sort of a visual person. I can picture Jesus kneeling down with the towel and the basin of water and, and washing his disciples' feet, which was a great show of love and a great show of, of servanthood. And we might have expected Jesus to conclude by maybe gesturing back to his, his own feet and asking them, who's going to do to me what I've just done to you? Right? When we think that that's sort of how we work in our life, right? I've done something so nice for you. What are you going to do for me? But what did Jesus say? Jesus said, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. See, Jesus tells us the same thing with love. If I have given you the example of this great love, this agape love, if I have given you this example of, of servanthood to one another, how we are to treat one another, if I have given you that example, do it to one another. Because the proper way to love God in response to his love is for us to go out and to love one another. To show the love of Christ. How did Spurgeon say that? Unlimited love unbounded grace? Why is it as Christians do we put limits on those things only so far? Because the Bible teaches us that this agape love that God has for us and that he expects us to have for others, he says, will lead to action in our life. They're going to see it in the way that we do things. They're going to hear it in the words that we speak. They're going to see it in the way that we treat one another. You know, the scripture says, has anyone been offended? Seek reconciliation. We stand back and say, oh, but I'm the offended party. I'm the one who's got my feelings hurt. So was God. He was offended by our sin. He created all things. He said they were good. He has given us life. He has given us the way to live. He has shown us his great love. And we choose continually to walk contrary to God's word. If anybody has a right to be offended, he has. So I ask you, do you have a right to say, oh, I'm the offended party. Seek reconciliation. If you're offended or not. Oh, but I've been insulted. My pride's been insulted. I've been insulted by something. So was God. Look at all the wrong that was done towards him. Yet the Bible says he sent. We were undeserving. Unmerited. Had nothing redeemable. Yet he sent. Sometimes, unfortunately, as Christians even, we sit back and say, well, that person's unworthy. They're undeserving. Really? So are you. But God loved you and sent your son. There is nothing that you did to deserve God's salvation. There is nothing that you did to deserve God's love. But he gave. And he gave abundantly. And he tells us that he has a life for us. And that more abundantly than anything that we can imagine. 
He gives without measure. His love is unceasing. His grace never ends. So don't talk to me about being unworthy. That somebody in your life is unworthy or undeserving. Because that's where we are. If we do not love one another with agape love. If we do not love with one another with the way that the Bible tells us. How can we have received the love of God? How can we call ourselves Christians and Christ followers? That have been born of him if we cannot love the way that he loves. That's why, God, that's why John says, if you have not the love of God, you do not know him. He has called us to exercise it. Satan wants to buffet it. Satan wants to minimize it. Satan wants to, to, to use that against us. To set conditions. To be legalistic. To have all these things in our life. I'm so glad that when God in his infinite mercy and knowledge and wisdom didn't say, you know, just show me something, Craig, that, that shows that, that you're redeemable and I'll give you it all. But he didn't do that. Why, I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. While I was dead in my trespasses and sin, why, my soul was as dark as dark can be, Christ died for me. If you had a pipe that was clogged and you kept trying to put water through it and the water never came out the other pipe, what would you do with that? Get rid of it, right? You'd replace it. Just so God puts his love, which is really agape love, encompasses grace and mercy and, and all those things, he puts those things in our lives that it might flow out of us to others. We sing a song every now and then that says, they will know we are Christians by our love. That's a principle in the Bible. The world's going to know that we are his by the things that we do, by the way that we treat others, by the way that we speak to others. The world is going to know there is something different. And the sadness is the church today isn't that distinguishable from the world today. And it's not because of music or dress. It's because of attitudes. It's because of the way that we treat one another. They look at the church and say, what a bunch of hypocrites. They look at the church and see fights. They look at the church and see division. They say, I can stay at home and have these things. Why would I go there? See, God has called the church to be something different. And when love is at the very center of all that we do, why we reach out, why we give, why we, you know, speak to others, why we give to missions, why we share the gospel with our neighbors. When love is the center of all those things, the world sees a difference. And the world that is living in darkness is drawn towards the light. It's not about me and it's not about you. I mean, history sort of says, you know, a couple generations after I'm dead, nobody's going to know who I am other than a, a footnote in, in somebody's, you know, genealogy. You know, my, my kids, my grandkids, they'll, they're going to be a couple generations out, they're going to be gone. Nobody's going to know me. But they might know Jesus. And if you can give that gift that keeps on giving, you share, you treat people well, you, you give them the gospel and they come to Christ and have eternal life and they share that on, 
it keeps on going. Though our life may die in this world, the gospel message will continue to go. It amazes me in a world that is so dark and in a country where things seem to be going so wrong that God's word is preserved and we have it. We have it and we can share it. We want the Lord to clear us and fill us so his love and his grace and his mercy can flow through us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.